This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. We are in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In a book that is full of prayers. This book is chock full of prayers. I mean, just the, the prayers are, it's just so full of prayers. Psalm 150, or, or there's 150 psalms. And so of those 150 psalms, if you prayed a different psalm each day, You'd be praying a different psalm every, every day for five months, nearly five months. And so if you were to pray like that, uh, you, would, you would have a different prayer. But of all the prayers, there's a king of all the prayers. Did you know there's a king of all the prayers? Of all the prayers, there's a prayer that we are commanded to pray every single day. And I would suspect that we probably are not, have not been diligent in praying that prayer every single day, but there's a, a king of the prayers, and that prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6. And it, that prayer is the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer. That prayer is, is there for us as a model for our praying, but it, it's very specific in the way that it's designed. Jesus is not haphazard in, in, the, in the way that he teaches his disciples to pray. If we, there's a little bit of an argument amongst theologians as to whether there's six or seven petitions within the prayer. But of the petitions in the prayer, if we draw a line just about down the middle, then we come up with the, the, the things that, uh, that we need the most in the back half of the prayer and the things that God desires the most in the front half of the prayer. And so when we're, when we're looking at this today, I know it's tempting to, having heard this a million times, Tempting to have your mind kind of gloss over and to think, I already know this, but I bet you you don't. You say, well, I mean, you know the prayer, but I mean, I bet you you don't really fully grasp what it is the Lord is trying to say to us. So we're going to just take the front pass portion of that and, and look into that. And we're going to try, to try to open our hearts to receive, to see what it is that Jesus is telling his disciples when he tells them to pray in this way. Our, our scripture is in Matthew 6 and verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Father, would you come and bring your word to life, Lord God, as we share, Lord God, from the, the, the bread of life, Lord God, may we be able to find your word and your spirit present here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just by word, way of uh, announcement, uh, for those of you who are here, last night, we, or Friday night, uh, we testified to the fact that there was, uh, we, that during, at the Missions Inferno, that we raised $1,500. Uh, upon further review from the booth, it was more like $1,850. So, and I understand. So that's really po powerful. 
And uh, for those of you who weren't there, trust me when I say we boogie oogie oogie until we just couldn't boogie anymore. And so, uh, anyway, we're looking at this passage of scripture here. Uh, This prayer springs from relationship. This prayer springs out of relationship. Jesus, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's teaching them how they are to pray and he teaches them to go to the Father. He does not say go to God, though God is certainly God. He does not say go to the divine sovereign, though God is most certainly the divine sovereign. He does not say go to the Lord, the world ruler. He doesn't say that. No, no, no doubt that the, the Lord is the, the world ruler. He does not say that we should go to the creator, though certainly he is the creator. He says to address our prayers to Father. Now, each of us have had a father. Some of our fathers were better than other of our fathers, but uh, we, we, we have scars on our life because of certain fathers. We have hungers within our soul because of the way our fathers reacted. But God is asking us to get beyond that and acknowledge that our heavenly father is indeed that, a heavenly father who sticks with us to the very end, will not abandon us, will never leave us nor forsake us, will be with us to the very end, and that that father is the one that we should be addressing. We come uh, through the, or by the Holy Spirit, through the, the name and the work of Jesus to the father as we pray. And so Jesus is instructing his disciples to, to come and, and come straight into the the holy place, and to address the king. Imagine if you were walking into a, a throne room and all the uh, heavenly angels that are, are dispatched to the doorway would look askance at you because, after all, you do look a little bit sketchy as you're walking into the divine throne room. And as they begin to hinder you back, you, from the very back of the throne room, call out to the, him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. You call out, Father! And all of a sudden, all the guards stand back and let you have full access right into the throne room. Because that is the only right that we have to be able to come in is because the Father has invited us in. You are not an interloper. You are not an inner, inner uh, 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 view or you're not an inner someone he's going to look at. You're not someone who's interrupting his day. You are his child. And so he invites you to come into his presence and address him by the, the covenant name that we have with him, Father God. Those outside the covenant cannot call him Father God, but we can because he is our Father, and whatever failings our earthly fathers have, they are only more set in relief to the one perfect Father that we have in heaven, and so we come to Him. I call this message uh, God's Big Three because that's indeed what we see at the very beginning of this message, we, at the very beginning of this prayer, the three things that God would have us to pray. Now, I said earlier that this is a prayer that we are required to pray every day, and certainly many of us fail to do that. Uh, I'm among those. And so, uh, but we understand that, that we understand it's a daily prayer because Jesus said to give us this day our daily bread. How many of you like to eat every day? Right, so if you aren't praying this every day in in obedience to Jesus, then you may be skipping meals. I mean, most of us don't look like we've skipped too many meals, but I mean, we we, want to be able to be obedient to this daily prayer. It's certainly from, from seeing what Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching them exactly how to pray every single day. And that means something as we're looking at this. So the very first thing that Jesus tells them to pray is to the Father, 
hallowed be your name. Recognize that there are three things that belong to God. His name, his kingdom, and will that are so important that they supersede everything else that we should pray for. And in fact, everything else really flows out of that. Your entire life, your entire ministry, everything about it flows out of these first three things. The first thing is, hallowed be your name. To hallow something is to recognize it as holy. And so the prayer is simply this. God, may the whole world know that you are holy. And at first, that seems like a pretty simple prayer to pray because we, we imagine that somehow God will do it. Like maybe God will raise up some rich guy who will buy a wonderful commercial that flashes on television all around the globe that says, God is holy. That'd be wonderful. Or we imagine maybe that the angels could hook up to one of those banners that they put behind the planes down at the beach in, this, in the summertime down in Chicago. And fly, the angels could fly along the beachfront and, and you would look up at the banner and it would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Boy, wouldn't that be powerful. But, that, but that's not all what we're praying for. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying that the world would know that God is holy. And that must be connected somehow to the promotional department in heaven. There must be a promotional department in heaven where they're, they're trying to work on, the, on the, the relations, the public relations that God has with the, with the world around us. Who would that be? Well, it's you. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You are the promotion department in heaven. Now, uh, that means when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're asking for God's name to be understood as holy. It's not saying make God's name holy, because God is holy. God's name is holy. He's entirely different. It's not, it's, in other words, it's, it's try to inform the rest of the world of the fact that God is holy. And when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we often go through it so fast that we don't stop to think that, hey, I'm one of those ones that should be promoting the holiness of God. Now, holiness means a lot of things in a lot of different cultures. Down south, if you're a preacher and you wear a tie, that's unholy. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Up north, if you don't wear a tie, that's unholy. If you wear blue jeans and cowboy boots, that's probably unholy somewhere. And I'm dead certain that if you disco, that's unholy. <laughs> but the reality of it is, that's not what holiness has to do. It doesn't have to do with where you wear, whether you wear a doily on your head or a bun on your, your hair up in a bun, or, or whether you wear a suit or you don't wear a suit, or whether you wear shorts or, 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 or a suit jacket to church. It doesn't have anything to do with that. In other words, our prayer is that we would be the ones that would be letting the world know. You can understand now why, why God would have us pray this every day. Because every day we're praying for the heart of God. And the heart of God is that the whole world would know that he is a holy God. 
And if we could really recognize the power of that, and the only way we can do that is by meditating and praying on it over and over each day. And as we do that, we suddenly realize that the, the purpose of God is that the world would know that he is holy. And so let me ask you something. Do your neighbors know that you serve a holy God? Do your coworkers know that you serve a holy God? What is, it about, what is it about you that is letting those around you, those closest around you know that we serve a holy God, that in fact his name is holy, that his nature is holy? Every time we pray this prayer, every day when we pray this prayer, our, it is springing up on the inside of us. How can I let the world know? That my God is different than they could ever imagine. He's separate from what they've imagined. And he is holy, completely other. If we recognize that, if we understand that to be true, we, we recognize that it imputes upon us a, an obligation, a, a, a burden of sorts, a joyful burden, but a burden of sorts. It makes me look at myself and demand that I change some things the way I do because I'm trying to communicate. In the old days, we used to call that your witness. Watch your witness because people are watching. How many of you have ever heard that before? Watch your witness. Yeah, we were talking about understanding that we live our life with this vision of people looking at you and trying to determine if you serve a, a holy God or not. There should be no question in the way that we comport ourselves, no question in the way that we live our life, that we live our life with this understanding that God is holy, therefore I have to look and change the way that I represent him. If we think about it, it's really horrifying, but there are, there, are, there are sins that if you commit them, you're better off dead. Well, let's just think about that. That's a pretty serious sin because our God is a God who forgives. And yet, now, now calm down. Those sins that I'm talking about are probably not the ones that you're thinking of. You're thinking of those, some really scandalous ones. But the sin that Jesus says that you're better off dead if you commit it is the sin of causing another little one to stumble, to fall. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, he says, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the depths well, there's no chance of swimming back to the surface with a millstone. In other words, he says, you're better off dead because your life has one single purpose, to represent God everywhere you go. And so if you are somehow not able to do that correctly, in fact, if, like this little one, uh, Alexandra, that we had before us this morning, if we were to cause her to stumble, God says, your life's not worth living because you, you caused her to stumble in such a way that you misrepresented me. And if you misrepresent me, then, see, when a young child is, uh, did you hear that woman in the video? She said when I was young, I think she said when I was three years old, I, um, uh, I was sexually molested. Her life is scarred now, looks like maybe into her late 20s, early 30s. She, her life is scarred because of that. It brought her into addiction. It did all, she, she didn't look back because the visage of what that, that, that perpetrator did to her changed the way that she approached, approached uh, men and life and sobriety and all those other things ran from the wound and the hurt and all that brokenness ran from that and in the inside of us we 
We are tender people. Even though we're tough on the outside, we're tender on the inside. And so when a little one is, is, is uh, my mother, uh, hopefully she won't be listening to this podcast. My mother, when she was young, she went to a, a Pentecostal church. I wonder how different my life would have been if she would have stayed at the Pentecostal church. And when she went to the Pentecostal church, and when she went in the church, they asked her to read a, a passage of scripture. And so she read the scripture, and it was, it was about Jesus turning uh, the water into wine, I think it was. And so as she began to read, she said, and he turned the water into wine. And the teacher turned to her and said, grape juice. And she never went back to that church ever again. Better to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Why is it? Why is it that God's holiness is number one on the way that you should be praying every single day? Every single day, we should bow before God's very first and greatest desire that the world would know who he is accurately that he is not a wishy-washy God, but he's pure and holy. Not in some thunderous condemnation, but we should bring it out in a way of, of, of the privilege of our, our relationship with him. And so this very fundamental thing, to know that, that God is holy is our privilege, but it's also our obligation to represent this before others. Every day when I pray, hallowed be your name, the implication is that I probably have some adjustment to be made in my life so that the rest of the world will know that I am holy. I have to know, I have to let the world know that I am not just like I was before I was a Christian. Isn't that interesting that the church is so busy trying to be like the world? It's just the exact opposite of, how can you pray every day, Lord, hallowed be your name, and try to live as close to the world as you possibly can? Now, now I, I'm not trying to get us into some weird dressing thing or some weird, I, I'm trying to bring us into the place where we really understand who God is, and if we really understand who God is, as that revelation comes to us, we begin to make the adjustments. We sang it earlier today, your word I will build my life upon your word. Your word. You're wasting your time here in church if you aren't going to build your life on the word of God. You are condemning yourself by hearing the word of God if you know that you have no desire to live according to the word of God. I'm being honest right now here. You say, well, the congregation may get smaller, but it will get truer. And so the issue for us is to recognize what is it that God is asking for us when we pray this prayer? Why is it that we haven't seen this before? Why is it that we just ripped these three off really quick? Uh, Hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, your will be done. As if, you know what it is? It's a certain sense of selfishness that we have within us. You say, we aren't selfish. Many of us in this place have websites devoted to us. Facebook pages. What's the name of my Facebook page? David Allen Tinberg. What does it have pictures of? David Allen Tinberg. 
Sometimes there's pictures of food, but it's only food that was eaten by David Allen Tinberg. It has the expression of my political opinions on there, because I want you to know what David Allen Tinberg thinks. And you have one too. We are so selfish in this culture that we have built icons to ourselves on the internet long after we're dead. I made one for my dead father. I made a Facebook page for my dead father. I don't know what he ate today, but I just keep adding stuff in there, old sayings that I remember for him. But they'll never come off. It'll be on there forever. Long after I'm dead, you will be able to know, what did David Allen Tinberg think? You'll be able to know that. Why? Because we're so all-fired important. And so Jesus says, listen, disciples, when you come to the Lord in prayer, stop thinking about what you want. Stop thinking about the things that you think are important. Stop thinking about your needs. Stop thinking about your need for his provision. Stop thinking about your sins that, that drive you out of the presence of the Lord. And pray this one thing. Hallowed be your name. Oh, that will humble you. That will sober you. That will cause you to change the way that you live if you really understand what it is. The second thing he asks us to pray is to pray that his kingdom would come, that the kingdom of God would come, that would inter, intervene in the world that we live in, that the kingdom of God would, would come. And that too is a prayer often misunderstood. We often think when we say, thy kingdom come, that we're saying, yes, Lord, send it. Come on, send it, we'll wait for it. Well, bring it on in, Lord. We're, we're welcoming it. We're open to it. But here again, this prayer has personal implications for me. Your kingdom come, yes, we want his kingdom to come, intervene, but it doesn't do that without us most of the time. Very often his kingdom comes into someone else's life when we speak of Jesus' love to them. As we share the gospel with them, as we love on someone, as we minister to someone, the kingdom become, comes in and intersects with their life. Healing flows. All those hurts, those people who gave testimonies of the healing that they experienced were because people came and ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ. They came and they incarnated the gospel in that place. And the kingdom came with them. Yes, the kingdom came with Jesus. No doubt that the kingdom was inaugurated when Jesus came. But it is, it is coming to fruition where we go. Jesus sent out his disciples. Remember this story. Sent them out. And when they were coming back, he said, I saw Satan falling as lightning from heaven. Satan fell. The kingdom of darkness fell. Everywhere the kingdom of, of, of heaven came. Where, what, what precipitated the fact that the kingdom of heaven was coming was that, that, that he had sent them out two by two to these hamlets and towns and villages. And as they went out there, the kingdom of God went there with them. We come to church as consumers. Lord, what can you do for me today? When in reality, we should come waiting to be fueled, waiting to be tweaked and changed. Somebody said to me after this sermon in the first service, thanks for making me get upset and pray during the middle of the service and tears flowing down my beard. Thanks for that. I said, you're welcome. <laughs> That's why you come to church. You come to church. If you come to church and feel better when you leave, you may have been sold a bill of goods. 
because you probably aren't much better than you used to be. And so we need to recognize what Jesus is saying every time you come into the presence of the Lord. I want you to pray this prayer. Don't, now, it's so easy for this to become rote, for this to become wooden, for this to be, and, and I'm not saying that Jesus is demanding that we pray every day the words of Matthew 6, but the spirit of Matthew 6 should be prayed every day. Lord, hallow your name through me. Let me be able to speak to someone so they recognize there is a God and he's different than I thought. And then, Lord, let your will flow through me. And God's will, well, Jesus lived his whole life deferring to the will of God. Like he probably wouldn't have come to earth had he had been up to him. He certainly wouldn't have gone to the cross. We know in Gethsemane he prayed the culmination prayer of his entire ministry. He prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, let, let that way come. But if not, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And we often think that's a noble prayer that Jesus prayed, but we don't recognize sometimes that this is what he's modeling for us. He's modeling a life lived, not my will, but your will. That means every day if I pray, your, your kingdom come, that I need to, I need to modify and, and, and change my life so that his, his kingdom can come into the earth here on the earth and change the lives of people. If, you, if we came to church and we didn't expect to intersect the kingdom of God, if we just came here thinking we would stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and then hear a sermon, then be sent on our way, as if somehow that pleased the Lord, then we're just fooling ourselves. See, unless we're, it needs to be, it, when we come into the presence of the Lord, oftentimes, well, sometimes he wraps his arms around us and, 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 uh, and hugs us and holds our broken heart and heals us and makes us feel stronger. But sometimes when you come into the presence of the Lord, he just gives you a good old slap alongside the back of the head. And we need that sometimes. We need to be sobered by the presence of God. We need to be, be intersecting the, the kingdom of God. And the values of the kingdom of God are so greatly different than this world, which does not satisfy. This world cannot satisfy us. The kingdom itself is our true north. The kingdom itself is that which points us in the right direction. So this second petition is really one of desperation. It's saying this world is so messed up, so screwed up, so, so lousy with sin that we just need your kingdom to come. The brokenness and the hurt and the, and the pain that's in this world, Lord, it's so far beyond our ability to, to fix. We need your kingdom to intersect with us here, Lord. We need your spirit to come and change and touch and heal us. Whatever momentary pleasures there are in this world, and we spend a lot of time chasing them, whatever those momentary pleasures are, they just keep coming after us so that we wring out as much pleasure as we can, but we are left wanting. Because the pleasure that God has for us is eternal. There exists the call of eternity in the hearts of every man and woman. And this world leaves us unsatisfied. It's a petition of sorts that rolls out the red carpet. It's as if we just said, 
Lord, welcome into this place. Bring your kingdom, Lord, into this place. We will do whatever you need. And we stand waiting. I like the end of that Psalm 27 that Pastor Seth read. Where we stand at the ready, waiting. We often think of waiting like this. We're waiting, Lord. But when you leave here and you go to the restaurant for lunch, there'll be a staff member there standing at your very table's edge. And they'll ask you, can I do anything? Can I do anything to facilitate your comfort? Can I help you some way? Can I bring you? you? What can I bring you? What do we call that? We call those people waiters. I don't know where we've convinced ourselves that waiting is passive. Waiting is not passive. Waiting is something that we actively do upon the Lord. I actively wait. It takes a great deal of diligence for me to sit myself still and wait for the Lord's kingdom to come. And whatever He comes, if He, if He, if He, whatever He wants, I, I, I will bring it. I will do it. I will make. See, it's my one undeterred devotion to follow after Him. The third thing we are to pray is that His will be done. This is a petition of yielding. So right away, we see that we have been praying for, for our, the kingdom to come and for His will to be done on the earth so that His name can be hallowed in all the earth. These are the first three things that we should be praying when we come to the Lord. Yes, there are other things that we will, we will pray about, We'll pray about these other things on another time. But on this time, we're coming to these first three things. These first three things are God's heart, His desire, that the world would know that He is holy, that His kingdom would be able to invade this earth, and He would do it right in your life. This On Monday morning, on Sunday afternoon, why well, put it off to Monday? On Sunday afternoon, that the kingdom of God would come and invade your life, and the kingdom of God would come and powerfully work in your life. And that his will would be done. Well, what is his will? Well, you see, it, 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 we, have to, we have to think of ourselves. How many of you believe that it's God's will that the people that you work with would come to know Jesus? Raise your hand. Well, if I'm praying, I mean, that's most of us. There's a couple Calvinists in the midst of us. But most of us actually believe that, that it's God's will for them to be saved. You know, the scripture says that. So we, we pray that we know that he's the atoning sacrifice, 1 John 2, 2, for the whole world. So Jesus paid for their salvation. We know that if they're part of the world, then Jesus paid for their salvation. So if Jesus paid for their salvation, then, uh, then we should be uh, praying that, that, they would, that the will of God would be worked out. And just that one area, that, that area of salvation, that would mean that when you go to work, they should know that you know the way to salvation. That means you have to be vocal about it. Why does Jesus want me to pray this every day? Because he knows my tendency is to be hushed up by the world around me, to be shut up and to shrink back and to, and to hold back because the world puts pressure on us to not shine like stars in the sky. But the scripture tells us that we are supposed to be those kinds of people who declare the wonders of God with our mouth, who declare the praises of God amidst the people, 
because we've been brought from darkness into light, because we've been rescued, the will of God. And so if I go to work in the same place and they don't know that God wants to save them, it's because I haven't prayed each day that prayer that his will would be done. Because I know one thing, I don't know whether their will is to be a doctor or his will is for them to be a doctor or a lawyer. I don't know that. I'm not sure about his will for them, whether they live on the east side or the south side. But I do know this, it's his will for them to be saved. And I should start with what I know, I would think. And that's his will. So if I know that's his will and I pray that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when God sends, dispatches angels, do you think there's any lollygaggers in heaven? I don't think so. I think when Jesus says, hey, angels, go over there, they are on their way before his words are are done. So when he, what we're praying for is that his will would be quickly accomplished, that the people would be obedient. Pastor, people say to me, in the middle of the service, I felt like the Holy Spirit had a word for the congregation, but I didn't get up and speak it. I'm usually pretty gracious when somebody says that. I don't say what I'm thinking. That's sin. I, want, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to give that fellow $5, but I never did get around to doing it. Sin. I wanted to help out with the missionaries, but I, 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 somehow I didn't do it. Or I prioritized something else. Sin. If it's the will of God, I mean, let's be honest. If it's the will of God, and you know it to be the will of God, and you choose not to do the will of God, you're in sin. It may not be flagrant sin. You might not be the town drunk and everybody points at you and, and you know, uses you as a story. But it's still sin. And so Jesus says, in order to counteract that, I want you to pray this every day. Pray that my, my Father's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when Jesus says, hey, I want you guys to go to Berwyn, Illinois, those angels start boogieing to Berwyn, Illinois. They do not hold back. There's no foot dragger in heaven who's going, yeah, well, I'll get there when I get there. I think those angels are kicked out, the foot draggers. So if we understand these three petitions, we understand the purpose of God's working on the inside of us when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every day as we pray that, our lives are shaped and molded and the Holy Spirit is making us into the person that we ought to be, shaping our life so that our lives will reflect that to the watching world, to everyone around us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.